When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth from BetQL. Welcome back. BetQL Daily right here on the BetQL. Joe, Joe G with you on a Friday. we got a lot to get to today, including a ton on NBA Finals game number four, big card in baseball, some NFL futures, but we're just a couple weeks away from the NBA draft. So let's talk to Ricky O'Donnell here from SB Nation. He's joining us on the Roman Guest Line to talk about the uh, 2022 NBA draft. Where the value is, as we see right now, Jabari Smith, minus 425 to be the number one pick. Chad Holmgren, plus 380. Uh, Paolo Boncaro, uh, 15 to 1 to be the number one pick. Ricky, welcome to the show. Number one overall, the Magic have the pick. There's been you know a little bit of different takes out there. Some people think the length of Chad Holmgren, that might be uh, kind of what the, the front office of Orlando thinks. Others, obviously, with the odds, say it's Jabari Smith. What's your feeling on what could happen, what might happen, Orlando at number one? Yeah, I believe that Jabari Smith is the most likely candidate to go number one overall. There was a report on ESPN that the Magic were leaning that way a couple weeks ago. Uh, If it was me making the selection, I would favor Paolo Bancaro. I feel like Bancaro is the best shot creator out of the top three. It's 6'10", 250 pounds, really good ball handler and live dribble passer. To me, Bancaro is the only prospect in this draft who could eventually project as a primary offensive initiator. That's what the Magic need. Really, that's what every bad team needs. You need that guy who can be the center of your offense, setting everyone else up and still uh, pressuring the defense with his own scoring ability. I think Bancaro has the best combination of size, scoring, and passing in this draft. Uh, If it was me, I think that the Magic should take Bancaro, but... From everything we've heard, it looks like Jabari Smith is going to be the pick, and I expect Jabari to go number one when the draft rolls around on June 23rd. Bancaro, now, Ricky, up to 15-1 to to be the number one overall pick. So you're right, all signs point to Jabari Smith at number one overall. And the odds also suggest that it, it would be, if it's Jabari Smith one, that we'd go Chet Holmgren, number two, Bancaro, three, and Jaden Ivey, four. Do you agree with that? Well, four is where it really gets interesting, and I was actually going to write about this this morning on SBNation.com. Uh, I think the key, the Kings hold the keys to the draft because Jaden Ivey, in my opinion, is the fourth best player or even the third best player. I'd probably put him ahead of Jabari Smith in this draft class, but is he a good fit for the Kings? The Kings already have De'Aaron Fox there. De'Aaron Fox's strengths and weaknesses are pretty similar to what Jaden Ivey brings to the table. We know the Kings already traded Tyrese Halliburton, another guard, uh, during the middle of the season this year for Demonis Sabonis because they didn't think Halliburton and Fox were a great fit. They thought they needed more size up front. So I'm very curious to see what the Kings do. I would not be surprised if it's a trade down here because I do think that Ivy is so much better than whoever the fifth best player in this draft is. But if the Kings like Keegan Murray or if the Kings like Shaden Sharp, uh, I could really see a trade in this spot, at least Sacramento moving down a couple spots, still getting a guy they like. And that gives the opportunity for a team like the Knicks, the Wizards, the Pacers, maybe the Pistons to go up and get Jaden Ivey. 
but I, I do expect Ivy to go fourth, I guess, if the Kings are making this, whoever's making this selection, if it's the Kings or someone else, Ivy clearly the fourth best player, but it's the Kings, man. You never know what they're going to do in the draft. They've had plenty of wild card selections over the years. So four is where things really get interesting in this draft. Uh, do you think at some point we might see a correction on how teams draft based on the league? So my, my point on that is you can make a case that, you know, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, two best players in the league, their teams aren't going far in the playoffs. Like big men are not leading teams. That's become a wing game, a guard game. Again, we have a draft here, probably bigs, the first two picks. And you mentioned um, Paolo is the guy that probably can initiate offense the most. But yet it seems like bigs, one, two, three, and the guards, like a guy like Ivy Downed. Do you think teams are, are obviously they're thinking about this. Do you think we'll see a correction in drafts? Or do you think teams are just going to say, hey, this is big guy. He's the best player. We'll just take him. Yeah, I think you're you're on to something there, but my perception of this watching the NBA Finals this year is that, you know, the Celtics have become such a great team because of their lack of weaknesses, not so much because of their strengths. You look at Jason Tatum and Jason Tatum is going to be like the worst best player on a championship team probably since the 2004 Pistons. He's got like a 48% true shooting percentage in this series so far. Of course, Tatum could still erupt for the rest of the series, but the point is the Celtics are not winning because of one great player. They're winning because their eight-man rotation is all so solid on both ends of the floor. So when I look at this draft class, and the NBA is always is a copycat league, I'm just thinking of guys who could play both ends of the floor and who aren't going to be able to be targeted defensively in a series while still sort of being able to complement the strengths of your best players. How do you do that? Be a plus passer, be someone who can space the floor, uh, who's not going to, you know, allow teams to cheat off you, double team your best player. So in terms of drafting, I think guys who sort of check both those boxes could be pretty interesting. A couple guys whose names pop off off the top of my head. How about EJ Liddell, three-year player at Ohio State? Sort of a throwback big man a little bit at 6'7", 240, but he's a very good shot blocker, very explosive vertical leaper. Uh, he improved as a three-point shooter this year. I think that that's really a key for him. You know he's going to be solid on defense. He'll be able to compete strength-wise on day one. I think that he's someone who could end up maybe going a little bit higher in this draft based on how the finals are going. Uh, and I think Tari Eason's an interesting pick, too. There's been reports that he's slipping in the draft. I think that would be a mistake for teams to overlook his length, his motor, and his switchability on defense. He needs to figure out the three-point shot, still hit it at a 35% clip this year, but his release is a little bit slow, needs to gain more confidence as a shooter. But that's the big league-wide trend I'm seeing throughout these playoffs is the, you know, the superstars, the top three, top four-level guys are not advancing that far in the playoffs. Instead, it's about the strength of your weakest link, and I think that makes role players more important than ever. With Ricky O'Donnell, covers the NBA draft for SB Nation. Follow him on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky. Uh, what, what I've, another angle that I find so interesting, and you're right, it feels like the draft is going to start at four or five. We'll see where the information is at, at that point. But the wide range of landing spots that we're seeing in mock drafts, by pe like people that cover this by you, like – you can see Dyson Daniels as high as five, as low as 18. Kenny Chandler as high as 15, as low as 42 into the second round. Why do you think that is this year? Dyson Daniels is not going 18. I think Dyson Daniels is going to be a top 10 pick. I don't know where the line on that one is, but 
you know, if I'm the Pelicans with the eighth pick, I think that Dyson Daniels would be a great selection for New Orleans if he's still on the board, which I believe he, he probably will be when they come on the clock. Kennedy Chandler is an interesting one because he's so small. It's like 5'11", 170. Uh, not a great shooter, but a very ferocious on-ball defender. Pretty good with his floater. Uh, so, you know, class that doesn't have a lot of point guards like this one, you know, you wonder where a player like Kennedy Chandler will eventually go. But, yeah, I agree with the overall point that there is a lack of consensus outside of the top four in this draft. I think you can ask 10 people who the fifth best prospect in this draft is and potentially get 10 different answers because uh, some of the prospects like A.J. Griffin, uh, like maybe Shaden Sharp or Jalen Duran, they just don't really have the on-tape, you know, like cemented case for themselves to be that number five overall pick. And instead, you got to look at how each of these guys translates. I mean, Keegan Murray, to me, is sort of a limited upside pick. But he's going to be really solid because he's 6'8", 220. He can shoot. He's not a great athlete, but he's a smart situational defender. So, you know, someone like that is a very popular choice to go number five overall. Uh, but you just wonder if more players in this draft beyond him have higher ceilings. So I agree with you on the lack of consensus outside of the top four. I think that it could be a pretty interesting draft night because of that. And I'm wondering about trades, too, because a lot of these teams, you know, you look at the Blazers with the seventh overall pick, you know, they're kind of in a win-now mode around Damian Lillard in the twilight of his prime. What are they going to do with that spot? I wouldn't be surprised if that pick is traded. There's already been lots of rumors about that. And then, you know, the Kings, too, are always such a wild card with them being number four overall. So uh, totally agree on a lack of consensus, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out on draft night. It's uh, tough on betters if you're looking at a specific team and what they've done in the past, their needs, their contract situations. Uh, just on your Daniels point, the draft position is set at six and a half. Now the favorite is the over. So, so would you go over on that one? For Dyson Daniels, six and a half. Yeah. I would go over on that one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I w- I would be surprised if Sacramento, Detroit, or the Pacers take him just based on. Uh, the history of those front offices and the makeup of each of their rosters. So I like Dyson Daniels at eight, but if the line is six and a half, I'm pounding the over for sure. Davis of Wisconsin. I, I think he's an interesting prospect. I'm seeing his draft proposition at nine and a half, and it's not juiced either way. It's nine and a half uh, minus one fifteen on both sides. Ninth pick San Antonio, tenth pick, tenth pick Washington. He's sitting in that range. Would you go over under Johnny Davis nine and a half for his draft position? Wow, great one. Really fascinating. To me, Washington should be doing backflips if Johnny Davis is still on the board at number 10 overall. The Wizards desperately need a guard. Johnny Davis is a very solid two-way guard, I think. You know, someone like Derek White on the Celtics, who's had a nice playoff run, he's probably like a good baseline for what Johnny Davis could be. They're similar size. I think Johnny Davis can defend the way Derek White is, and honestly, I think he has quite a bit more one-on-one scoring ability. When I'm thinking about that line, It's tough. I might not bet that one, but if I had to bet it, I would probably take the over. Uh, The Spurs, I I could see them going for more of like a higher upside player. Jalen Duren at nine, I think, would be a pretty good choice for San Antonio. I already said I like Dyson Daniels at eight to the Pelicans. Uh, Portland, you just don't know what they're going to do with that seventh pick because I think it very likely could be traded. Then you got the Pacers at six. I guess Johnny Davis could go six to the Pacers. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. He could even get some consideration at five to the Pistons. But if I had to bet that one, I'm taking the over. I think Johnny Davis likely goes number 10 to Washington. 
But that's why Vegas is so good. That's exactly where the line mm-hmm. should be for Johnny Davis, in my opinion. And uh, it's, it's going to be pretty close one way or another, depending on where he gets picked. Uh, to some, it was a surprising uh, regular season, at least for Arizona. I mean, he had an awesome year. And his number is set at eight and a half. He's not... He's not mentioned right outside the top four, top five, but a little bit, a uh, little bit further down. Uh, maybe he can creep into the top ten. What do you think about Matherin? Very interesting, Matherin at eight and a half. Uh, I would probably take the over on that one. Uh, I could see him going to the Spurs. I could see him going to Washington. Could see him going to the Knicks. It really comes down to like how teams feel about A.J. Griffin and Shaden Sharp. To me, that's like how much risk are you willing to take on as a front office at the top of the draft? Because I think A.J. Griffin and Shaden Sharp both have, let's say, higher ceilings than Matherin, but Matherin has a higher floor. It's just a safer pick, proven college production. Shaden Sharp never even played a game at Kentucky. You're basically drafting him off his EYBL tape and uh, you know some high school tape as well. A.J. Griffin is a bit of an injury concern coming out of Duke. He just didn't look like the same explosive athlete he was in high school, but he also is an incredible shooter. His size, 6'6", 220, grown man's frame, 48% three-point shooter, 45% three-point shooter, I think. So when I'm thinking about Matherin's draft status, it's like, do teams want to go for the little bit of the sure thing in Matherin or roll the dice on a higher upside player? And those two guys, to me, are Griffin and Sharp. Uh, Eight and a, we said it was eight and a half for Matherin. Correct. That's tough. I got him number nine in my uh, in my mock draft right now. I could I could see the Pelicans going for Matherin, but I think they need a little bit more defense. To me, Matherin is not a very good defensive prospect. He's a dynamite shooter and a very good cutter, good athlete, can play above the rim. But you know, defensively, he's a little small. I don't think he has a great feel on that end. So I'm probably taking the over on Matherin at eight and a half, but. Uh, that, that's another interesting one. Uh, Ricky, what do you think about Shaden Sharp? You mentioned there's not much uh, that we know about him because he didn't play. He never actually played a game for Kentucky. I'm seeing props and odds on him, uh, plus 210 to be, the top, to be the fifth overall pick, and then minus 2,500 to be a top 10 pick. So the odds are telling us he's going somewhere in that range between 5 and 10. Um, do you have a thought on, on the kind of team that would take a chance on him? It's, it's interesting because it's so little information, yet obviously there's some upside. He was recruited and was going to play at Kentucky. Yeah, he was the number one overall prospect in his class, enrolled at Kentucky midway through the year, similar to Hamadou Diallo uh, several years back, if you remember him. He also went to Kentucky. Uh, the, the book on Sharp is that he's a very explosive two-guard. He's 6'5" seven foot wingspan his pull-up shooting ability what's tough to gauge though just watching the aau tape he played on the nike uibl circuit and then in high school is where's his feel for the game at like to me you can watch his highlights and he can do like some six step back jumpers uh he can make plays above the rim but is he going to be able to consistently get two feet in the paint as a driver where is his like ability to read the floor as a passer. And then defensively, he's got the tools, but you know we've seen plenty of guys with great physical tools still not be good NBA defenders. So when I'm looking at teams that could take him, I don't think he's going in the top three. The Kings at four are such a wild card though, right? Because I do think that Shaden Sharp's theoretical skill set is a better fit next to De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento than Jaden Ivey's. Now, to me, if I'm choosing between the two prospects, I'm taking Ivy all day just because I think Ivy 
has high upside and is a much surer thing than Shaden Sharp is. But I think Sharp could go number four to Sacramento. I think he could go number five to Detroit, where it'd be a pretty interesting fit next to Cade Cunningham. You could see the Pacers taking him at number six. Great stuff. Ricky O'Donnell, the Roman guest line. Get a free online evaluation, ongoing care, free to getroman.com slash BetQL. We'll go off the board next right here on the BetQL Network. These Joes are helping you bet like a pro. It's Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth on BetQL Daily from BetQL.